Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new Monday sode. And Justin, wow, on my signal, Justin, unleash hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's do this shit. Loy Sauce, jump the fuck in here. Yes, it is me, Loy Sausicus. <laughs> Get excited, Sausicus. sitting on his throne with diamonds, gold, and partially chocolate, because that motherfucker likes to eat. Mmm, chocolate. Bitches can't anyway. get enough of my stuff. Yes. Yes. I think you were about to say that exactly. yourself, and then Nick played the soundbite instead. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he just tries to fit that into every conversation he has at this point. Like, the beard is just is overtaking you, his face. Is, like, is that how you start off a date? It's just, you should just pull out your phone and have that soundbite already on it, and just, don't even say it, just play it. For why, would you, why would you not start a date that way if you're Loisos? Do y'all want to hear how long my beard has gotten? Very. Ooh. Wait. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is a special, and I mean a special live Monday sewed edition. I am doing nothing to this because it has to literally be posted online about, probably by the time it's done being recorded, a little about five hours, give or take. Uh, so there's going to be absolutely no time to do any editing or anything like that. So that means every time Justin messes up, you're going to get to hear all of it in all of its glory. I'm just going to not talk the <laughs> entire time. He's just going to sit fine. here silently. Uh, special announcement, ladies and gentlemen. No, no normal episode on Thursday this week. No King Solomon's Minds for Hashtag Canon Quarantine. That's being bumped to next week because, Justin, Shh. what are we doing? Shh. Don't tell them. Listen, you guys reacted so well to our recent B-side. We're doing something special for you. We're really excited about it. And just prepare yourself for it on Friday, which is a very special day celebrating the anniversary of something that is very near and dear to my heart. Enter the sauces. We just felt like it was the perfect time to take that opportunity to celebrate that and discuss it. So that's what we got for you. Canon Quarantine, of course, will continue the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. And I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about Canon movies until this time next year, if we're lucky. So, yeah, if we're lucky. I'm sure Nick's super excited about that. But the cool thing about that as we get to celebrate awesome anniversaries of great movies, such as one of Nick's favorite movies of all time, which is Ridley Scott's Gladiator, which is why we're here recording right now. Ooh, baby. Nick, I just want to know, when was the first time you saw Gladiator? Do you remember? 2000. <laughs> did you see it when in the it theater? Came out? I'm reasonably sure I did see it in the theater, yes. I, I mean, I can't remember seeing it in the theater, but I'm, I would be certain at this point in time I would have. Now, I only ask you, I, I know you didn't, Lois House, keep smiling all you want. You, your ass didn't see this fucking movie in theaters. I was six years old. You weren't <laughs> even born yet. Stop bullshitting. <laughs> we were still in a fucking crib. 
Do you think your dad brought you? I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring in my little baby son to watch this movie about people getting cut up with swords. No, you didn't. I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it until much later. I will say that this is one of the first R-rated movies I ever saw. Okay, so did your dad rent it at fucking Blockbuster then? <laughs> well, that's how I saw a lot of movies, but not this particular I'm only one. asking because this was 2000, so literally what drives me crazy, you know, I hadn't seen this movie in like 12 years. 20 years ago, this movie came out, and by watching it, I'm telling you right now, you wouldn't be able to tell. But if you watched it around then, I'm sure that the way that you watch movies at that point was renting it from Blockbuster because that shit came out on VHS for sure. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to talk all things Ridley Scott's Gladiator, which again came out in 2000, celebrating 20 years this month. And uh, yeah, again, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, probably top 25 or so somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I think this movie is an utter and complete masterpiece. It is so, so insanely well-made literally from the top down. Everything in this movie is excellent. Like even rewatching it, like even rewatching, even the CGI in this film is great, except for like one thing. There's like one thing that I didn't. Oh, come on. Like. Seriously. You're going to bring up one I'm thing. I'm not going to nitpick or anything. It holds Listen, up. There was, there I would was, say 95% of it holds up. No, a, a great, great deal of this movie holds up, but there's definitely a couple of shots of Oliver Reed as Proximo because Oliver Reed died during production and they had to like the movie wasn't done. So they had to basically use body doubles and use CGI to finish his performance in the film. Like, I don't think his character would initially was supposed to die in the movie. I he think was that not. was one of those things where they CGI'd him getting killed because it was just one of those things that they just reused like a different take of him doing that shadows and dust line in, into the, into the movie to, to just kind of fill that in there. But yeah, so there's a couple of those shots that I don't think look as good, but it's obviously the production was just forced into, you know, they just had to do what they, what they had to do. So it just, it just, kind I of was going to say is one of those right things. off of the, right out of the gate. Uh, since you brought that up, uh, the British post-production company, the mill that did the CGI for the film, uh, I think did one of the best jobs for any movie that came out around that time period. I mean, they won an Oscar for the film among the other Oscars the film won for. But what hit me so hard watching this movie 20 years later, and yes, I will throw it in there, roll your eyes, stab me through your screen if you want, Nick, with your giant gladiator sword. But I did. I rented this movie. And 4K, Dolby Vision with Dolby Atmos. And when you watch a movie from 20 years ago, all right, you're going to notice its flaws even more than you would if you watched like your old DVD or VHS or whatever. And I would say that the CGI in this film holds up better than half the shit we're seeing get released today. And I think it'll be a testament to how well utilized it was and how subtle it was. I mean, they only used what they had to use. They weren't going crazy with it. I mean, it still looks amazing in my opinion. So I just, I had to bring it up. I'm sorry. Dolby vision talk will be over immediately. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Well, they certainly don't make movies like this anymore in terms of, it feeling like a, a a epic of 
the era, the golden era of Hollywood. You know, you have large scale battle sequences, you have hundreds of extras, you have live animals, real animals, uh, elaborate sets and locations, the digital effects, they hold up for the most part. I mean, the this movie has aged better in 20 years than I'm sure 20 years down the line, you know, movies like the Ben-Hur remake or like the Dwayne Johnson Hercules will hold up. 20 years down the line. So this is, make no mistake, one of the greatest action epics of all time. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. And I mean, I like just to, if, if nobody's familiar, Loisos, with, with, with the Nick, plot of Gladiator. Nick, why don't you take it? Because this is one of your favorite movies. I mean, f- fine, fine. <laughs> uh, so Maximus, Russell Crowe, is Maximus and he is a lead general in Rome's armies. But when the emperor dies, he finds himself suddenly becoming a slave. And as a slave, he is then, you know, made into a gladiator. And then he kind of ends up back in Rome doing whatever. I'm terrible at synopses. I don't like pulling them up and reading them though. Cause <laughs> You're I think doing that's a great really job. Bad. You're doing a great job. But I mean, basically yeah. there's a line of dialogue that Commodus says in the film. He's like the, the, the general who became a slave, the slave who became a gladiator, the gladiator who defied an emperor. That's basically this movie. Yeah. Pretty and much. It's at its, at its core. It's a revenge story because it 100%, 100% is. Because uh, Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is... In his best well, ever performance. Fuck you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I never said that Joker was his best performance, if you're yelling at me. But I'll tell you one thing, though. This is his best villain performance of all time. And it, it's the one that he's going to go down in history as being remembered for, I think, even more so than Joker. Joker had the huge hype. It had a huge... You know, it was hashtag trending for a long time. But when you look at this performance, it's in his early days. And really, Scott said on record, he was the only choice for that role. He only wanted Phoenix for that role. And you can see why when you watch this fucking movie, he is so evil in this role. He's so brilliant. He is good. Oh, my God. He is good in this movie. He absolutely nails it. And because the character is such a scumbag, but. What I love about the character, the way it's written, is that you understand him. You understand why he yep. is the way that he is. Daddy issues can fuck a person up. Let's let's yep. be honest. And and I can see where villains like Kylo Ren got their inspiration from this from uh, Commodus. I think the best villains are the ones that you can relate to in some way or that you understand in some way because really he's. Well, yes, of course, he is completely power hungry and all of that, but he he just wants a hug from his dad and he never got it. <laughs> you know, he also wants, you know, power and to rule what was at the time the most powerful fucking empire in the entire fucking world. But yes, that is very, very true. Well, and so uh, even though. uh Marcus Aurelius, played by Richard Harris, who is the emperor, he has kind of like this dream to return Rome to a republic once more because it's been uh, influenced by by corruption and all of that. So he he wants to return Rome to a to a righteous republic, um, and so he tells Maximus Russell Crowe's character that he is going to be the next leader, and. 
once Commodus finds this out, he's none too happy. And so he orders Maximus captured. Actually, no, he, he murders his father, first of all, smothers him Spoiler to death. Spoiler alert. Yep. And then, oh, sorry, I didn't realize we were... No, I'm uh, not putting a spoiler alert. That everyone I'm busting your fucking balls, bro. <laughs> keep going, keep going. So he, he murders his father, has Maximus arrested, and then kills his family, or has his family Crucifies killed. his family. By the Praetorian guards, which is horrifying. And, and your, your heart's pumping in your chest, that scene where Maximus escapes, and he's rushing back to his homestead to, to find his family very much dead and that performance and Rus- that which Russell that Crowe's performance alone, in that scene like that sequence alone just like the way that they show the passage of time because obviously he's riding all the way from Germania all the way back to Rome which I mean if you're riding by horseback like that's a fucking trek you know so like they show the passage of time by like he's got this big scraggly beard and like his hair is grown out by the time he finally gets there just great subtle things but it's the attention to detail in this movie and what you can kind of go back to it like a hundred different times but the attention to detail in this film is 100% what makes it feel so authentic and what makes it feel so real and what makes every single thing about it just shine off of the screen like 100% guys Remember when Ridley Scott made good movies? Listen, I know we've goofed. <laughs> I know we've goofed on Ridley Scott a lot on this show but in the no. past. This no, he is one of the best directors. This is a extremely handsomely directed movie. Uh, I mean, in every possible way, and I love that he took subject matter which at the time wouldn't even be considered for a movie of this caliber. You know, his love of history and made it into this huge historical epic that ended up being celebrated. And that's why we're here sitting here 20 years later talking about it. When this movie came out, movies like this weren't happening. As you said so perfectly in the opening of this intro of this show, they weren't doing these huge elaborate set pieces like this. They weren't doing huge historical dramas. I mean, they were doing war movies. Spielberg had his hand in that. And, you know, Ridley Scott with Black Hawk Down and all that. But with something about, you know, historic Rome, when I went to Rome, Last October, and I actually saw the Colosseum, and I saw all the the old historical buildings, and then I watched this movie. I actually felt a deep connection with that because I'm like, now I can actually see what they were going for with that. Um, it's insane to think that how the undertaking that went into making this movie. I mean, just the amount of people that were involved to make it. They actually had you know historians on set as experts to kind of guide them down the right direction. I mean, make no mistake. The movie's not 100% historically accurate in any way. Certainly like kids sitting back there watching it with me because, and, and she was very fascinated with ancient Rome. Um, very passionate about that material when she learned it in school. And she's like, wait, this didn't happen this way. Wait, who is this guy? And I'm like, no, it's, it's like loosely based. But again, that's perfectly fine because the movie never says that it's trying to be any one specific thing. It opens up, with what is, in my opinion, one of the best battle sequences ever to be put ever to be put on film. Also, a huge reminder that in circa 2000, slow-mo was a thing. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. It was like, I mean, like there's there's one moment like once the battle actually gets going and 
like you know everything kind of starts in motion there's just this one wide shot of the battlefield as like all the roman archers are launching all of their arrows and all the catapults are fucking firing and shit and the shot just pulls back and you just see this like un unfathomably huge volley of like death and destruction being launched at all the germanic tribes and everything like that it looks so 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 fucking good it's just it's unbelievable how amazing it looks like everything about it is so so well shot it's so dingy it's so filthy it's so muddy like all of those soldiers look like they've been like that's one of the great things that i said attention to detail like they talk in the film about how long this campaign has been going against the germanic hordes and like you really feel it when you see all these soldiers that just look like they've been through like this endless hellish slog of a war and like you really feel it and see it on their faces but i love that you know the messenger comes back and like they just catapult his head back over there when he because like his body falls off of the horse yeah, or whatever they just toss it yeah yeah Whoops. um there, there's one thing that really hit me so hard when i watched the opening of this film aside from that beautiful opening shot which is totally gorgeous of uh maximus's hand is you know running through the field is that when the battle sequence starts, movies are still aping this style today for battle sequences. When you look at the color palette, the grays and the blues and the mixtures there and that gritty look to everything, it movies are still trying to recreate and, 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 and you know, the amazing feeling and vibe and look that this movie had 20 years later. And it, it hit me so hard. Like I didn't even realize how influential this movie has been for the past 20 years in regards to any kind of movie regarding any kind of battle or war of any kind. Can we talk about, cause this is one, one of the many things that I love about this movie, how insanely violent it is. Yes. <laughs> because when I saw this, I think I, I must've been like 10 or 11 and it kind of blew my mind because it kind of opened me up to the the gore hound that I would later be, become. But I mean, people in this movie just getting decapitated and stabbed and impaled and cut in half and people's limbs getting chopped off and people on fire, people getting stuck with arrows. It's really intense. And it kind of puts you right in the middle of that brutal and barbaric time in history. I mean, especially during the uh, the gladiator sequences themselves, like we, the audience, are the audience watching the oh, gladiatorial yeah. battles on screen. So like we share a lot of their reactions, like when they go, oh, and like when like, you know, they're cheering at the carnage and the spectacle on screen, like that's us, the audience. <laughs> so um, yeah, but no, it's really, really effective. And uh, I just love how much blood you see on screen. I mean, it's the modern equivalent so of people now today watching football or i should say even more so like ultimate fighting championship or boxing people still in a way love watching fucking violence on the screen or live as entertainment and that and that's what that was what was popular at that point you know absolutely nick what is your favorite action scene of the film god I mean, not to put you on the spot. I was just creating conversation. Oh, look what you did there. Look what you did. <laughs> I mean, I would probably just because 
So you go through the the opening battle sequence, which is which is absolutely amazing. Like I don't want to take anything away from it because that entire opening battle sequence is what sets up his character as the general. Like and like that's all you need from for like to understand like how revered he is in Rome, like for his his tactical skills and everything. That's a great battle sequence. After he gets back home and he gets captured and he gets made into a slave and then he gets you know purchased like Proximo buys him and then you know they're having all their different you know, gladiator battles in like the, the, the slum cities and all that kind of stuff. Like those are great. Like those are really, really great, but it has to be the, the first battle in the Coliseum. What is it? The battle of Carthage 100% or whatever. Dude. Oh, like, so fucking that good. Action sequence is, I mean, not only because like he purposely like kind of rallies all the other gladiators is like, we're all just going to get mowed down and killed here unless we work together and whatnot. So, like, that's kind of just what they're expected to be. Like, they're expected to be cannon fodder and just stupid entertainment. They're expected to just go out there and die, you know. But instead, he, like, bands them all together and then, like, find ways, like, all the chariots. I mean, even though that there's, there's you know, shots of practical effects where you can see, like, you know, like, I think on one shot of, like, one of the chariots, you can see, like, an air canister on the bottom of it that they use to flip it over or whatever. Like, things like that. Like, obviously, that kind of stuff is in there, but, like, like that, the action in that battle alone is, like, so hard-hitting. It's, like, so bloodthirsty. Like, that's when you talk about the violence. Like, that, I'm th- pretty sure it's that battle when that one archer, like, the one archer on the chariot gets literally fucking cut in cut half. Cut in fucking half, dude. Yeah. Like that Sliced shit is in just half. absolutely, absolutely Dude, glorious. Oh my god! When I, I I looked when that that happens, I looked at my kid's reaction. She was had her hands in front of her fucking mouth, <laughs> holding her mouth with her eyes wide. I'm like, I'm feeling the same thing because I hadn't seen this movie, and literally, I'll be completely honest, it's been like 12 years, and I've seen this movie probably all the way through a total of maybe this is the third time. So oh I have ne- this is not a movie I've watched a lot in my life. See, when Justin so, was watching all sorts of other movies, I was just rewatching Gladiator endlessly. I've probably seen this movie a hundred times. I utterly and completely adore this movie. It's it's legitimately brilliant from beginning to end. I I don't even understand how it's as good as it is. Even rewatching it, like literally, like the cinematography, how beautifully this is shot, especially like all the digital shots, like the composited shots of Rome. Like those Dude, amazing oh, shots, like that first shot that you get of the Colosseum when the camera just pans up and they digitally like they did create a Colosseum set that they had like the sand pit in. But most of the stands, like all the stands, yeah, everything, which was, was only CGI. 52 feet high, apparently. But really, Scott really wanted it to look bigger when they went to do like like, you know, set locations when they went to go look at everything he was like oh the real coliseum's too small let's make it look bigger in the movie so apparently they made it look bigger in the movie i think but they added an bring extra up, tier on top of it in the, yeah, in the movie they did and and when i went to it they they talked a lot about the history of it and a lot of the history of that is actually very true in the film how they had like the trap doors underneath and they would have the tigers under there all that shit is 100 true but um i really wanted to touch on what you just mentioned which is my favorite thing about this movie, aside from how blood, you know, bloody and how action packed it is, is John Matheson's cinematography, which surprisingly was nominated, but lost out to another one of your favorite films that year at the Academy Awards, American Beauty, Nick. It didn't win. And when I look at those two movies side by side, American Beauty, make no mistake, it's a beautiful looking movie, but God damn, I can't think of anything visually this gorgeous during that time period i I feel like it was kind of snubbed maybe i mean when you look at it it's just 
I was just in awe over every single shot, especially all the practical stuff and the stuff you were talking about where it literally melded together practical shots with a little bit of CG. And what I love about the CG stuff is that it looks like they were still of the mind of appreciating matte painting. So it still had that look to it. It still looked natural. It didn't look as Loisox likes to say, fakey fake. When you look at the background, you can tell the actor standing in front of a CGI sky. You know what I mean? It's just absolutely breathtaking from start to finish. Certainly visually spectacular. Um, but also, it's a really, really solid script with really well-developed characters. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you have we already touched on Commodus as a villain and how just... Mm, you just want to deck. You just want to deck him across the. So you have the great villain, which is paramount to a movie like this because you want to see him get his. You want to see, uh, you know, vengeance served. But then you also have a great protagonist in Maximus and Russell Crowe, the perfect actor to portray him. Uh, he, I mean, you really get the sense that this is a warrior who fights for strength and honor and. And um, and then when he has everything taken away from him, the lengths he goes through to to avenge his family. And it's a really soulful performance from Russell Crowe. It's soulful. It, it's subtle, yet powerful and absolutely fucking commanding. You can't take your eyes off this guy. And I'm going to throw it to both of you guys right now. Do you think this is Russell Crowe's best performance? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I know, I know, Nick, I know that you, you lobby hard and I know that you always defend him in Les Mis. So I always have to ask. I mean, he is, he is brilliant in Les Mis. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no denying that, but. I think it came around, came out a couple years after this, but um, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World is a very underrated Russell Crowe movie. I think that like Gladiator and Master and Commander, those were like two. Uh, movies that harkened back to the golden age of cinema. And we don't see movies like that anymore. I think the great thing about his performance in this film is, and it's a lot of what Loisos was saying about the script as well, is it really, really gives you the dramatic punch that it needs. And it's not like Russell Crowe is the greatest dramatic actor ever, but like, you know, he has that period. Like think about when he's a general, like just how soft spoken and how kind of quiet he is. Like all he wants to do, he talks about like going home and just and and farming and just being there with his wife and how much he can't wait for that. And then when he becomes a slave, there's a while in the film when he just doesn't talk like he just doesn't speak at all. Like it's all the other slaves and everybody else uh, they are just doing all the speaking and everything. You got Jamon Hansu, it, I think, is a great supporting character in the film. Uh, Ralph Muller as Hagen, also another great supporting character in the film. Like, I really love that they kind of flesh that out because it lets the story kind of develop on its own. And then when he is forced to fight and, like, forced to become a gladiator, he loses that kind of soft-spokenness because now there's a purpose to him. Now that there's, like, this this driving like vengeance burning inside of him. Like he's more angry. He's got more fire to him and everything. But like, again, it all is sold on the brilliance of the writing and and the greatness of his, of his performance. And, you know, you get just that moment, like when he gets home, when like he finally, finally gets home. And I mean, think about how well paced out this script is like, think about how long the moments are in this. You get to get so much established, like so much character work established after that opening battle. His family doesn't die until like 45 minutes into this movie. 
Like it's a long time into this movie. So you already have heard from him talking to Marcus Aurelius and just talking endlessly about how much he wants to go home. And then bam, that's taken away from him. That great well, scene when he gets home. But- What's that? I, I said not endlessly, but you're right. Like it's very well paced, yeah, and it's very well established exactly. how he feels about how he feels about home, how he feels about his family. So it's all the more devastating when he gets home and sees, you know, yeah, uh, and it, the, it's the, it's perfect. And then you know, it it goes. The film goes like you know, you see you you see. Uh, Commodus comes to him after he murders his father and he's basically like you've got one chance to prove your loyalty to me and Maximus walks out on him and then you don't see those characters on screen together for over an hour like it's over an hour of just and you're seeing scenes of one you're seeing scenes of the other you're like you know they're going to clash again and then like legitimately one of the greatest fucking scenes in modern motion pictures is Finally, he takes off the, the helmet scene after the Battle of Carthage when he comes out yeah. and he takes off the fucking helmet. I still get goosebumps when I fucking watch that scene because it's I the got music, goosebumps too the tonight, man. score, Zimmer's fucking score fucking swelling up behind it. He turns around and he's just like, you know, uh, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this lifetime or the next. And the greatest thing about it is not just not just Crow's performance, but the look on Phoenix's fucking face, how well Phoenix sells the fucking moment as Commodus is fucking brilliant. Nick, I just got goosebumps moment. with you reciting those lines. Every I literally just got goosebumps is, down my and, back, and like, dude. Legitimately, that's like an, that's almost two hours into this fucking movie. Guys! Guys! Fame is well-deserved, Spaniard. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. As for this young man, he insists you are Hector Reborn. Was it Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! Will you remove your helmet and tell me your name? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, Husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, We need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference.
Gladiators Maximus' story, we talked about this before we started recording. The, the other stuff it adds in is more stuff about Rome, more stuff about Commodus, more stuff about Lucilla's character and the senators, like not wanting him to be in power. Politics. Like, it's stuff that's already established in the film, so the film doesn't need it. But like it's just it it's like an hour, like literally, like even well, even if you go by the theatrical, it's probably at least an hour and a half into the movie before you get to that moment. And then you just see this kind of like rising, rising, rising until that climactic moment. It's the perfect buildup, I think, it's in my so, you know, so perfectly paced. It's like expertly, expertly directed by Ridley Scott. That's why I will always go to a theater to see whatever Ridley Scott does, even when he lets me down grossly. Like, even I will still turn out to a theater to see something he made because of the genius in this movie. How brilliantly everything in this movie is executed is beyond words. It, it really is. And I think a lot of it, like I said earlier on, comes from the fact that when he got his eyes on this material, he became deeply fascinated with it. And he really wanted to make this movie and make it as good as he possibly could. Um, he wasn't happy with the initial script, so he he got some other writers in there. And he, basically, when he got the green light to make this movie, it was basically like he got carte blanche to like, OK, it's really Scott making this movie. Look at what it is. Let's just give him whatever he wants to get and make this movie the way he wants to make it. And, you know, you can tell the amount of care and precision that went into this thing, um, you know, Especially with when you look at ancient Rome, I mean, there were so many different ways and avenues you could go down to focus on this material, uh, especially when he, he looked at the initial script. He said that a lot of the dialogue was way too on the nose, way too old school Hollywood. And you notice when you when you watch the movie as great as the dialogue is written, um, it's done in a way that it's very easy for the audience to understand. It's not over the top, you know, it's not convoluted in a way. Um, there's no misunderstanding to be had. It's a very simple, straightforward revenge story. He doesn't go deep into this or that. And I'm glad that, you know, the movie that we got overall wasn't the extended cut with all the, you know, this movie could have, added in all the additional amounts of politics and such, which is a huge part of ancient Rome at that time. And I'm glad it didn't. Cause that would, in my opinion, be extremely boring. The movie does exactly what it needs to do. It builds the protagonist and the antagonist together separately until they meet for the first time in so long. And when they do, you just can't wait to see them on screen together again. Couldn't have said it better myself, Justin, and y y the politics of it are interesting. Unfortunately, this film is very politically relevant today. I mean, because you have Commodus, who's this sniveling, cowardly, preening. Oh, you're going to go arrogant, there. There he goes. Here he goes. He's on fire. Incestuous, scheming tyrant with daddy issues who abuses his power to distract the public with entertainment and reality television smoke and mirrors. Meanwhile, he's stripping them of their freedom and resources for his own gain. They didn't have television in ancient Rome. <laughs> I'm using a metaphor. <laughs> but that doesn't sound like anyone today, does it? Possibly. I don't know what you're talking about. Possibly. Hey, buddy, you gonna eat that sausage? Bronson? Is it about Bronson? No. It's definitely about Bronson. 
But yeah, I know it's, right. it's again, this is this is Maximus's movie. I mean, it's it's and that's why, like I watched I had never seen the extended cut before I watched it for this. Uh, I Like I said, I own it on DVD. I probably worn that DVD out just w- watching it so many times, but I never watched the extended cut. So I finally watched it. And the movie just doesn't need all the extra stuff because it just broadens out. It adds extra depth and it adds extra layers to some of the other smaller characters in the movie, like you just get a little bit more of some of those side characters. But in a film like this, where it's really meant to be Maximus's story, like you don't need a whole lot of other well-rounded characters. I mean, you need a great villain. You need a really well-rounded, great villain. Like the amount of development and depth that they give to Commodus in this film is the reason why you hate him so much. You could have just made this character a one note guy that you never get any screen time from, never get to see, never does anything. You know, you don't get to see those dramatic moments from him. So you can, like Loisaw said earlier, so you can understand where he's coming from, you know, and and this becomes a much, much different movie. It becomes kind of like a Marvel movie, you know, where you get no development for a villain or whatever. I really wish like modern films, not even superhero films, but just modern films would take. Well, I mean, superhero movies have become this movie. In they the have become era. this movie. They, they've by because far, they are they've the definitely taken influence. Action spectacles and action blockbusters. But the reason why this movie is as successful as it is, the reason why this movie is as good as it is, is because your leads, your lead characters are so, so well developed. There's other characters that are great, but most of them are just static characters, but they don't need to be anything else. And I think that's one of the things that the extended adds to it is it just rounds some of those corners on some of the different characters It definitely with Lucilla's character, she gets a lot more to do in the extended uh, with some of the senators, even with some of the other slaves, like it it definitely gives you a little more, but none of it's necessary. None of it adds anything to what is singularly ultimately still Maximus's revenge against Commodus and, you know, defying against standing up to him and, realizing marcus Aurelius's dream you know that, that there was a dream that was rome you know and i love that and i love we, we i we, we have to talk about the ending of the movie only because if i had any other favorite if you want to if you want to just talk about in terms of favorite b- battle scenes or favorite fight scenes or whatever like there's no way that like even though like it's it's a it's a different kind of fight like it's not like the action spectacle that the battle of Carthage is or it's not even like the great gladiator battle that the you know battle against Tigris of Gaul is like it's the battle between Maximus and Commodus like Maximus has been fucking stabbed you that that absolutely amazing confrontation that they have before they get raised up there and Maximus, it, it, well, Commodus says to him, he's like, do you think I'm afraid? He's like, I think you've been afraid all your life. Yeah. Just fucking the dialogue in this is so fucking just chillingly perfect. Absolutely cuts to the fucking bone for these characters. Like every time they deliver a line of dialogue. And then, you know, they have that exchange where Maximus is like a friend once told me that that death smells at us all. The only thing you can do is smile back. And Commodus kind of snidely, you know, responds to him. He's like, I wonder, did your friend smile at his own death? And 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 Maximus is like, you should know he was your father. You know? Like just I like it well written script. Extremely powerful. To the fucking bone. So touching. And then the way that he fucking stabs him and then he goes out there and basically Commodus just still gets his ass kicked because he's like he's he's just Question though, for question though, the the shot of him actually, Commodus actually getting stabbed. 
maybe a minor critique. How much better would it have been had the shot been a little gratuitous and like you see the knife actually go through the middle of his fucking throat and out the back? You know, the way that it's done, I noticed that it's kind of hard to tell. That, I mean, you, you know that he got stabbed, but it was done very like in a very subtle fashion. You know, it wasn't like an amazing like, oh, we got it. It was like, OK, he's, he's stabbed. You want to know what the now. best part about the way Commodus dies in this movie is? And there's one scene earlier in the film when he accuses the Senate of doing nothing but talking. But holy fuck, all Commodus does is talk in this movie and see him monologues get stabbed it. in the fucking it. throat and just that fucking gurgling, gasping fucking sound. That It's so, so fucking poetic. I love it. I absolutely fucking adored it. No, the, and the fight's good, too. I mean, I, as much as the other fight scenes and the battles in the movie are so high it's, energy it's because it's all and about emotion. amazingly shot at that point. It's yeah, all the emotion. Of course. It's built up until that point. It doesn't need to be flashy. It's perfectly fine. You can tell that both Phoenix and Crow are doing, you know, the majority of the sword work together. They're working together to make the scene special and it's very well done. I mean, I, I have no qualms with it at all. Um, Again, the whole movie is about the buildup between the two. So I think it was perfectly satisfying. And I love the way this movie ends. The way this movie ends is just beautiful. It's it, it's pitch perfect. Absolutely. It, it kind of uh, is a great callback to the scene that Russell Crowe and Jimon Hansu have at the, you know, towards the beginning when they're talking about, you know, uh, Crowe Crow seeing his family in the afterlife. Mm hmm. Do you think you'll ever see him in, yeah, in the afterlife? And he yeah. says, not yet. And then that's called back to at the end with. I love Jimon that. Hansu's, yeah, the little, um, Jimon Hansu saying, you know, I'll see you. I'll see you in the afterlife, but not yet. In the bloody, in the bloody it. sand of the arena, no less burying yeah. the little, the little, the little figures of the, of the wife and the son, the, the ones that he had carried with him throughout the movie, which I think is absolutely great. But I mean, one of my favorite things about that whole finale too, is, you know, after Commodus dies, nobody does anything with him. Like, literally, they leave him there. They carry Maximus out of the fucking arena, like, carried above their fucking heads. And I, I, it's just, it's just fucking brilliant. And then you get just <laughs> that, that amazing yeah. fucking Enya song that, uh, that Now We Are Free song that is just absolutely incredible that closes out the movie. So let's talk about, because I think one of the things that helps sell the emotion, I mean, I mean, the, the film is emotional enough already. But the music adds it's so much to so it. This is one of my favorite. Good. This is one of my favorite film scores of all oh. time. Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerrard's score for this I movie. Got to, so, I got to hear Zimmer do the theme to this movie live, and it was literally breathtaking. It was, I mean, you knew that he was going to play it, but when he did, it was like, one of those emotional moments, just like when he played the Dark Knight theme or the Lion King song or anything else that he's done, you heard it and it's immediately, instantly iconic. I think without the themes this are very music, memorable. yeah, without without, I mean, and it's classic Zimmer and people seem to forget, like when you watch a movie, for example, I was watching Extraction the other night or whatever, uh, you know, the new Chris Hemsworth Netflix movie. Zimmer is in everything now. When you hear any modern action score, you hear fucking Hans Zimmer. And it all started with mostly like his late 90s, early 2000s output. And you hear it here. But what I love about his score for this, he's not nearly on the level as 
bombastic and heavy hitting hard drums. I mean, it's there, but it's nowhere near like what he does later on with Man of Steel or, you know, any of the other stuff that he did for comic book movies. But it's just it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Also, a a lot of his themes in this movie were kind of recycled for Pirates of the Caribbean. You can hear it in there a little bit. Because he did this right after that, the first one, right? Yeah, pretty much. He didn't do the score for the first one, though. Klaus Bedelt did. But Klaus Bedelt was a student of Hans Zimmer's. So that's why it sounds like a Zimmer score. Zimmer scored the second and the third one, though. But didn't he... Didn't he come up with the theme? I, I think he may have come up with the theme. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure he came up with the theme. I mean, let's face it. Anyone that works with Hans Zimmer. As an example, Junkie XL, they end up sounding like Hans Zimmer with all of their scores. I mean, yeah, just, he's he's influential for sure. Yeah, for, but, for sure. But either way, you can I totally get where you're coming from on that saucy. I definitely heard a little bit of pirates in there a little bit, you know, a lot of the same notes, but that doesn't take anything away because they're two completely different kinds of movies. Um, yeah, it just brings such a grandeur to the whole, to the whole piece. And I don't know. I just, a lot of those themes still stick with me because when I was in high school, my sophomore year, we did uh, a gladiator show for marching band. So all the themes are just kind of ingrained in my head because uh, I spent so much time with the music and I grew to, I mean, I grew to love it so much that it's still to this day, one of my all time favorite film scores. And apparently it's still to this day, Hans Zimmer's best selling score of all time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I did not know well, when I looked it up before we decided to record this that. tonight. I was like, wow, holy shit. Bigger than the Lion King, bigger than shit like Superman or Batman versus Superman or Spider-Man 2 or whatever. Amazing Spider-Man 2. You know, all the stuff that he's done since then. It's crazy, but rightly so. It's beautiful. It's poetic and it is brilliant. This movie is brilliant. (laughs) I think my favorite parts of the score, just to just to mention it really quick, but I think my favorite parts of the score honestly is great and is as bombastic and 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 as 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 sweeping as some of the more epic pieces can be like the like the like the theme that covers the the opening battle or the theme that plays like especially after that that first battle of carthage and all that like those are great but i think it's really the quieter moments in the score that really punch the hardest and you know you've get you got those like the chanting and all the different things in there with those are the moments of this score that really really hit the hardest for me because they they it's it's one of those complete perfect marriages that you have in a film where you got performance you've got production you've got uh direction you've got the score you've got literally everything the writing everything works in such a great great harmony to completely sell everything about it it's just perfect like it's just yeah there aren't words to describe like how amazing I really and truly believe it is. Like I watch it. Like I, I seriously watch it. Like, I mean, aside from the one scene, you know, where he takes off the helmet, which is the most iconic scene in the movie, but there's just so many different moments in this movie when I like the, I've just got so much energy watching it. Like I love watching a movie like this, where you as an audience member feel so energized, whether it be physically energized or like mentally energized, whatever, just emotionally emotionally, yeah like you just feel so charged watching this movie like you get so invested in his battle against communists you fucking hate communists just as much as everybody else does when this movie goes on you like you like you still like feel sick to your stomach when he stabs him in the back 
in, you know, the thing before they go to fight because it's like one last dirty underhanded fucking trick, you know, where, where he's, you know, he's going to come out ahead again. He's going to win again. And then in, in the end, he doesn't. And you feel such even watching it for like the hundredth time or however many fucking millions of times I've seen this movie. It still captures me with that emotion. I mean, every Nick, single time. I think part of the problem is, which this isn't a problem. This is a great advantage the film has. But this movie set such a high bar that nothing since it has really. I mean, do we get movies that are nearly this good on this level that are this epic, this beautifully created and precise today? I mean, we do in a different way, but not this kind of epic movie. We just don't get them when they try to make movies like this. I mean. Blazos, the same cinematographer, John Matheson shot. Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, Legend oh, of the Sword. God. So he's when got you a, compare, he's got a family to feed. No, I know, I know, but it's like, dude, but King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, with the budget and the talent that was involved in terms of the cast and whatever. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that Guy Ritchie is on the level of Ridley Scott as a director, but there, I mean, that should that should have that could have been an epic. Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie has certainly been on the level of. Prometheus Ridley Scott and Alien Covenant Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott that made I would the argue, Robin Hood I would argue that and- no film Guy Ritchie has ever made has looked as good as Prometheus does and I don't like Prometheus like well, it shit is dog script but that movie the, is so like it's the prettiest that, piece of shit I've subjective. ever seen <laughs> that's subjective but we got it we got it we really have to we're closing out the review we have to discuss how big this movie was the following year at the Academy Awards. I mean, it took five fucking Oscars. All well-deserved. Um, however, Ridley Scott did not win. Uh, the movie won Best Picture. Russell Crowe got his Academy Award for this film. Best Costume Design, Best Sound, and, of course, Best Visual Effects, which it definitely deserved. I get if it already won all those at not winning for best cinematography, even though, I mean, for me, between this and American Beauty, maybe I need to rewatch that. Nick, correct me if I'm it wrong. Been, it could that. have been nominated the same year as American Beauty, though, because American Beauty won best picture the year before. Maybe I'm wrong and you're right. Yeah, because American Beauty maybe won I'm best picture. Right. So, I mean, it wouldn't have been nominated for cinematography a different year. It must have been another movie. Maybe it was the year before that I'm thinking and I. OK, so. You're right. Even I'm still, wrong. If it lost, I mean, I'm, I'm really kind of curious. I kind of want to know what it lost cinematography to now. Hang on. But it did not win cinematography the year that it was nominated. And Ridley Scott, it, it was another one of those rare situations where the movie wins the best picture and the director does not win best director. Uh,. Peter Powell won for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for this. Oh, okay. that's another great All right. movie. Okay. All right. Then that makes sense. Okay. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I was probably looking at the, you know, the prior year. Yeah. I mean, Conrad Hall did win for American Beauty. But yeah, when you said that the first time, I just didn't pay enough attention to it. But yeah, American Beauty won Best Picture that year. So it couldn't have been up against Gladiator for Best Picture because Gladiator also won Best <laughs> Listen, I'm going to blame. I was sober at that point. I'm going to blame the Death Wish coffee. Okay, blame the fucking Keurig that you hate so much. But I'm going to blame Death Wish starring Bruce Willis because it feels like the right thing to do. That's 100 (laughs) percent accurate and fine to do. All of the world's atrocities are a direct result of Death Wish. Knew it. Knew it. 
I blame the coronavirus on Death Wish 2018. I blame the murder hornets on Death Wish 2018. Yes, the murder hornets are a thing. That's I, I could not. Oh my god, we're talking about Gladiator, but I'm not going to bring it up. But I'm like, literally, there are murder hornets in North America. To be right fair, now. there have been murder hornets like for a long time, but not but, in the U.S. Yeah, not here. Listen, all right, it'll be fine. Every it's going to be fine, everybody. It's going to be fine. I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine. I want to meet one. I want to take one and save it and bring it in the house and make it a pet. So <laughs> give I'm it a cool big old hug. No. Um, so, yes, cleaned up at the Oscars was a huge hit. Uh, they've been talking for many, many years about a sequel or a prequel or something, some kind of continuation of the Gladiator name. Um, I found this really interesting. Apparently, Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the musician, was hired to write a script for Gladiator 2 in which Maximus was reincarnated by Roman the Roman gods. And he goes on to fight in World War II and the Vietnam War and he becomes a modern-day general in the U.S. Army. And this sounds inc- like just absolutely insane, first of all. A lot of the treatments that I've ever heard of for like, I've heard of like the, like there was one where he like it's Maximus, but Maximus is in hell and he has to like fight in a bunch of gladiator matches in hell and stuff. Like what the fuck? I've heard so (laughs) many like weird and who knows how many of them are like legitimately real and how many of them are just, you know, people making stuff up on the internet or whatever. But yeah, they have tried for ages to get a sequel moving or some kind of associated film because this was so successful like they figure it'll just be a smash hit if they just can kind of tie something to gladiator somehow but i mean they were at least until the rona came around uh they they had finally at, at least as far as we know landed on some kind of script for a sequel that russell crowe would not have been in it would not have had maximus in it but like, I mean, just stop it. Hollywood. I feel like, yeah, I feel like making a sequel would kind of be a betrayal of this movie because it's again, we've talked about the, it. It's well, the main protagonist and the main antagonist both die. <laughs> right. So <laughs> as we talked about, it's Maximus's story. And at the end, Maximus got to be with his family in the afterlife, which yeah is that's the story complete I mean, so if we you're don't need bring to see this more franchise back at least i at least would applaud them not putting maximus in it because it would be horrible to even go against like this movie because of how perfectly this movie wraps everything up for that character but, but e- nick that even with notwithstanding like but Nick, Ridley Scott just loves loves ruining his own franchises. That is very very uh, I don't even know what you would do. Like I mean legitimately like how do you I mean, and I'm not going to say I, I I am just like give me the money and give me the time to sit down and and knock out some kind of a treatment or something. Maybe I could come up with something that's probably half as good. You know, as this movie is. Like I just don't see where where you can make a sequel to this movie that's somehow tied to this universe that is even remotely as good. I'm not saying it's impossible, but how do you make also, if you want to make this movie, how do you make it so that it's not essentially just a retread of this one? You know, 
I mean, granted, there's other ways that I'm sure you could go, but I mean, again, like I have, like, this is us coming up with stuff on the fly at the end of a podcast talking about a movie, you know, give me some time and some money, you know, whatever. And let me just focus some on cocaine it. and definitely a lot yeah. of cocaine. I need to maximum overdrive this shit, you know, like, let us get it done. But I, I just, well, I well, don't get it, man. I don't see. I say, leave it alone. You know, I mean, it's, it's, or do it's something just Hollywood wanting money. And... I mean, but I just like, don't tie it to this franchise at all. Like, or if you do have it only like tangentially related to it, like somebody at some point in the movie mentions a gladiator who, you know, was once a general and who killed the emperor. Like, that's the only time act to this movie we need. Like, please do not, for the love of God, make it related to it in any other way. <laughs> I liked seeing the giraffes the best. The queer giraffes? There were real giraffes. The the two giraffes that, yeah, they wouldn't mate. Yeah. You sold me queer giraffes. <sighs> That's my favorite line of the movie. We saw two real giraffes. Oliver Reed is so fucking, like, we didn't talk a lot about the performances of the, of the minor characters, but Oliver Reed, like, rest in peace. Like, he, again, we talked about it before. We died during production of this film. Holy the fuck, he's dedicated to his Proximal. memory. Yeah. He's so good as Proximal in this movie. I adore him. <sighs> he's great. I I feel like I'm a little fuzzy on his character a little bit because the, the character starts out and he's introduced as this really callous, irritable slave owner, essentially. I, I mean, guess dude, he he grabs a dude by the fucking balls. Yeah, so. like you really expect him to be this like mean, crusty character. I guess it's it shows that he has deeper layers as a character because he and Maximus connect and he kind of becomes like a mentor to Maximus. So I don't know if they were trying to kind of mislead us by his character introduction or introduce more depths to his character as the movie went on. But I thought those two where the character, how the character is introduced and where he ends up are kind of at odds with each other, I thought. But maybe that's just. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I think that's one of those things where, you know, he is one of the characters in in this script, even in like the normal version of the film. Like he's one of those characters that gets a little bit of rounding. Like he, and I think maybe it's just one of those kind of things where he has this hardened exterior where he's grabbing a dude by the balls and yelling at him for queer giraffes. But then, you know, as you kind of, as you <laughs> and Maximus is your kind of audience surrogate in these, in these scenes. But as you get to know him more, you get to see the layers. You get to see kind of what, why he is as hard as he is and why he has reached this point that he has. And like, he used to be a gladiator and he, you know, got set free by Marcus Aurelius. So when he kind of finds out about Maximus and like when he sees like in Maximus kind of the same thing that like he was a good gladiator and Maximus is a great gladiator. And then he finds out about his history and stuff like that. I, I don't have the necessarily problem with kind of connecting those threads. I mean, maybe it was that they might've had more material that might've fleshed that out a little more, but they just, didn't have Oliver Reed. I don't remember how yeah. far into production he died. Uh, but yeah, it might have just been one of those things where they just didn't have Oliver Reed to do those sequences or whatnot. But I think for I think it works. I think it works enough. It, I mean, it just he softens a little bit. He just he just softens up a little bit as as you get to know him. He, and he kind of opens up just a little bit. And, and I think maybe it's just their mutual respect, like he he and Maximus, like their mutual respect for each other that softens them both. Like they're both very kind of hard toward each other. It, well, Maximus yeah. is hard toward everybody. And, you know, that that early stage, how great is the scene when he's like fucking scraping that tattoo off with a rock, like literally digging it out of his fucking arm with a rock. Ugh. That would be, you know, one of the most difficult things ever to do. 
So yeah, that looks extremely painful. I could only imagine knowing what level of skin the tattoo actually settles on and, you know, heals in. It's below the top level, so you'd be digging for a while, pal. Um, there's a line in this movie that I haven't heard in 12 years because the last time I watched this movie, and I have to give a shout out to my good friend Joe Hoffman, uh, good old Joe, old epic film guy Joe. He was one of the epic film guys for a short period in time. This is one of his favorite movies of all time. He always said that it's Rightly one of the best so. movies ever made. Um, but this line is going to sit with me for a long time. And I'm telling you right now, if I didn't already have tons of words tattooed on me, it may even be next thing to be to be planted on the skin. But what we do in life echoes in eternity. And I really love that line. And as subtle as that line is, I think it'll just stick with me for so long. It's such an emotional line. It's connected to family and relationships. And it's not necessarily religion or afterlife, but just your belief in in love. And I think that's one of the most important things about this movie is that message of love and that's what the movie's about, man. He's supposed to get back to his fucking family, back to his kid and his wife, you know, the simple things in life. And I think especially right now, guys, you know, regardless of your situation, you can reflect on that because we're going through a really tough time in our society right now. And you just have to think about what you have in life and what you have to appreciate. You nailed it, Justin. And I think as Maximus uh, makes his legacy, leaves his legacy in the film, the film itself, Gladiator, leaves a lasting legacy too, 20 years later. And um, it's a very simple story of revenge, but it's enhanced by really fleshed out characters, quotable dialogue, like the one Justin just, the line Justin just mentioned. Um, there's, you know, just staggering production and costume design. There's really intense combat sequences, one of the all-time greatest musical scores. So like I said earlier on, this is one of the all-time greatest action epic movies ever made i'm gonna get a line of dialogue tattooed from this movie on myself too it's you sold gonna, me queer giraffes yeah it's gonna say you sold me <laughs> queer giraffes damn it he knew are, he just knew he saw that look in my eye are knew. you not entertained i you know it's i always a, entertained a great movie. i mean again this is one of my top 25 movies of all time i absolutely utterly adore this movie Absolute masterpiece, 20, 20 years. I love, especially movies like this, I love celebrating I love celebrating movies like this. So again, uh, if you, I don't know, if you fell asleep after the beginning of the show or you, you fell asleep when you hit play and you didn't wake up until just now, know King Solomon's Minds this week, hashtag Canon Quarantine, being booted to next week, and instead stay tuned on Friday for something very special coming from the old Justin and the God of Podcasting himself. Oh! It's going to be a really, really, really fun time. And then we've got King Solomon's Minds, ladies and gentlemen, coming up uh, in hashtag Canon Quarantine. Loisos is super excited no matter what he says. He's going to say he's not, but we know he is. I wanted Company of Wolves. (laughs) I wanted Company of Wolves as well, but that's fine. He said that he sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. (laughs) Dude, looking at Nick's expression when he sees the snake props in that movie. You know what? I've never seen King Solomon's mind, so it'll be a canon movie that I haven't seen before. And I'm looking forward to that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It'll, it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun for us. It'll be fun for you guys. And as always, 
We love you guys. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you. We hope you're having fun with us. Kill, 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 kill. My God in heaven. So, ladies and gentlemen, we do appreciate you tuning in to this uh, this special Monday. So, look back at Gladiator. Uh, Justin, where can they find us on the web? Uh, literally everywhere. We are the horrors of the podcasting world at Epic Film, guys, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. You can listen to us on every single podcatcher. And if that doesn't work for you, Spotify and epicfilmguys.com. Make sure if you're not following <laughs> us on Facebook yet to go over there and like that shit. Hey. And then, of course, join our fan group, The Hopesters Dumpster. Hey, That's where you can you? hang out with us. You can help vote on these canon quarantine movies. You can just chat with us. You can post, you know, movie news or like content me and chat with the rest of our patrons and friends. And, and yeah, memes. You can, we love memes, too. Yeah, memes. Memes are good. And, and Nick will also yell at you for liking certain things that everyone loves that he hates. <laughs> That's If you like the Goonies, plenty of conversation in there, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, please, please join. And of course, we have, Nick, our live stream for The Cure. Tell our listeners about what's going on with that. We're only a few weeks out from this shit. Absolutely. So a uh, special shout out to Alan Gallarisi of Interrupted Tales made an early donation over on the website. We are climbing up there in early donos. We're well over $200 now. Thank you very much, Alan. Alan's an absolute treasure. Record more Interrupted Tales, Alan. If you guys don't listen to Interrupted Tales, please, for the love of God, do. They are hilarious and amazing. Burn through their backlog. For, like Put so many downloads in there that it forces them to listen or to record more episodes. As many more episodes as they possibly can because it's 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 just hilarious. But they've been huge, huge supporters of Livestream for the Cure. Uh, so thank you very much again, Alan, for, for donating. They're going to be live on the event again this year, which once again kicks off May 27th. Runs all the way through May 31st, 48 hours of live content from podcast partners literally around the world all to raise ten thousand dollars for the cancer research institute it's going to be an absolute blast we're going to have an absolutely amazing time please set aside some time please set aside a few coins come by hang out and give yourself something to do i mean granted you know depending on where you are in the world or where you are in the united states or whatever the case may be there's some slight reopenings and whatever you know with the whole canon quarantine or quarantine whatever uh, you know, but even still, uh, we hope to be a, a nice breath of fresh air, give you some, uh, give you some nice entertainment and raise money for a great, 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 great cause. So please, please mark your calendars. Please make sure you come out. It's going to be an amazing time. It really, really is. I sure can't wait. Fuck the epic film, guys. <laughs> Uh, damn hopester. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, stay tuned Friday. No Thursday episode. Keep in mind, no Thursday episode. So stay tuned Friday for a very, very special release from us here for myself, for Justin, and for our absolutely beautiful, beautiful God of Podcasting. Hey, Loisos, when are you going to take me over to McDonald's and give me some free double cheese? <laughs> Thank you all. So, so much for listening. Until next time, we will see you at the movies. Suck my dick, motherfucker! <laughs>